This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for lives that are being changed week by week, Lord, day by day, as your kingdom is coming in our midst, Lord. And we, even when there's a perverse generation and a, Lord, a generation that is out there so lost, we pray that you will revive our hearts, that you will breathe through your Holy Spirit on our lives, Lord, and that you will bring our hearts to a place, Lord, where we will wholeheartedly surrender to you. And we pray, Father, for your your light to shine and that you'll open the eyes of our understanding so that we can know you, so that we can know the power of your resurrection, but also the fellowship of your sufferings, that we might conform to the image of your Son and of his death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great. We are finishing on a two-part series on Revive Us, O Lord. So turn to your neighbor and say, hey, we need revival in our hearts. I think all of us, when we hear the word revival, some people think like massive outreach, massive stuff happening on the outside, but Revival is simply in our hearts. Revival starts when we have not just an encounter or experience with God, but when our lives are transformed and we become like Christ. Would you agree? Uh, a lot of people think in terms of just an experience, and there's a, there's a big part of the charismatic church that almost have a doctrine called kingdom now, and they say like everything must happen now, and you must pray now, and there must be breakthrough now. And we believe that. We believe in a certain way that, hey, we're going to pray in authority. We're going to pray with God's life and God's abundance over our lives. But we also know that we live in a world that is broken and suffering. And sometimes things don't work out as we pray for. But that doesn't change God and it doesn't change our perception of God. Because, hey, whatever happens outside is not a reflection of who we are. Our identity is already firm in Christ. And so part of that revival is when a group of people revisit, revision who God is and what Jesus has done. And so the more we grow as Christians or the older you get as a Christian, you should actually be more amazed as to what the cross means to you. I don't know about you, but it should lead you to more humility. Um, because the more teachability will come to you. The more you get to know God, the more you know how little you know Him. Is, would you agree with me? You just realize like, wow, God, you are so big. You measure the universe in the palm of your hand. You know, whoa, you know. Um, and, and yet he reveals himself to as our Abba Father. So Matthew 28 is this commission to go into all the nations, to disciple all the nations. And, um, and that's our mandate. And whatever we do should be part of that mandate in our lives. We have been commissioned by God to go make disciples and to teach them not just to give them a lot of knowledge, but to teach them to observe all the things that he has commanded us. It's almost like, hey, come and, come and look at my life. Come and see what's happening in my life, and I'm going to teach you the things of God. And that's part of discipleship. And one of the challenges that we as a church are facing is not a challenge, but one of the things God has been telling us is that we must move away from just event Christianity and fellowship to real discipleship. And that may mean that the church may completely look different in five years from now or ten years from now because, hey, if I am a disciple maker and if I'm committed to that, it means that 
I firstly have to recognize that I come from a culture of individualism and consumerism. And we are bombarded to think in the same way. And so sometimes we come to church, but we also become a consumer. Hey, you know, I don't like that short man up there. I don't like his jokes. I don't like, you know, I don't, I, I don't like the way he talks. You know, I don't like, I, I, you know, I don't like when he, there's a, there's a guy, I, I'm just checking if he's sitting here, but the other day he always comes to me and he says to me like, why are you always pointing your finger to me at the back there? Start pointing to the other people in the other side, you know? Because it's like when Stephen Lungu, you know, it always like it comes back, the finger comes back to you, you know? And I say, no, no, it's called conviction. It means like, hey, if you are not challenged to change, if you're not challenged to grow, then you're not in the right church. Because every time you read the word, something is going to change. And it's not God. It's, it's you. It's me. <laughs> Okay, because hey, we're not perfect and God is not expecting perfection, but he is always going to bring us closer to him. And that means certain things need to change. So what is revival? It's a people saturated with God. It's a people desperate, hungry for God. It's a people that are searching, a holy people that say, Lord, we look at this culture, we look at this world, but we want to live differently. We want to live consecrated to you. We we have a different way of living because we have a different standard by which we live. And like I said, not perfection, just a holy living. And that means to be separate, a people that are wholly devoted to become worshipers to him, where the glory of God becomes the center of our lives, the presence of God, to please God, not to please people, but actually to please God. And so that's when we turn our hearts back to God. And that's the story of the Old Testament, of the prophets, they came and said, hey, turn back, turn back your hearts to God. And last week we looked at what does it mean like when somebody like Nehemiah came and just started to pray before God and started to cry out to God, say, God, you know, how can I be here in the king's palace, but your, your, your house is in ruins, Jerusalem is in ruins. And God started to grip his heart, not just for himself, because he was very comfortable, but he started to cry out and say, God, Lord, I, I have this desire um, that people will turn back to you. And then we looked at Elijah, how Elijah came and he had this showdown with the Baal prophets and there was great breakthrough. Lots of things were happening in First Kings 18. And most people would just stop there and say, hey, Lord, you blessed us. You had the showdown, you God and all that stuff. Let's just have a nice party. But then Elijah started to pray for rain. Elijah started to go down and he started to birth the purposes of God. And he said, God, I have one desire that people will know and say, you are God, you are God, you are God, you are God. And may that be our desire is to know the presence of God in our lives. And the question is always is, does God feel welcome? A lot of churches even today, they build the church so that people can feel welcome. And that's great. But at the cost of God feeling welcome. So a lot of people are changing who God is or they're changing the message to have more people in church. But the moment when you compromise the word of God and the moment when you compromise, then there's no, no power. All the power will be gone and the presence of God will not be there. You'll just have a great religious experience. And I've, I've got a friend in America and he said to me, he went to this church the, the other day and he was so shocked. He said when he got into the foyer, they were playing worldly music and they sort of to prepare people, you know, just like all these secular music with all the stuff and the words that is just so, so lustful and perverse. 
And he said he was so shocked by where the church has come to just to attract people. And we're always going to have nice coffee, I mean, all the coffee snobs, I mean, okay? Yeah, nothing wrong with nice coffee and nice to, to, to host people and to make people feel welcome, but not at the cost of the message. So a lot of people are compromising the message, but then there's no power to heal and to save and to deliver, to set the captives free. That's what Jesus came. Jesus came really to rock the boat of the Jews. Jesus was not interested in their comfort. And so, therefore, as we embark on this journey and say, God, I want revival, you must know that there's a cost involved. Be careful to pray for revival because then a lot of things are going to change in your life. Be careful to say, Lord, come and, 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 and pour out your spirit. <laughs> we have these jargon that we sometimes pray, but most people, you know, that were involved in great revivals, and uh, I like reading about the Smith Wigglesworths and the Wesleys and, you know, had the privilege of being in Ireland and Scotland to meet some of these people that were part of the, the Hebridean revivals, you know. And um, the stories that come out is amazing, but very scary. They would say like when Smith Wigglesworth would, would sit in the train and he'll just be busy reading the Bible, then as the train would stop on the train station, people would just on hordes just fall on their faces and start to cry out to God, say, God, we repent. And he's just reading his Bible because he was a carrier of the presence of God, but it came at a massive cost. Most people that were involved or leaders in revivals would probably not see the age of 40. Because of pressing into God, crying out to God. You know, beautiful stories. We have such a legacy of God pouring himself out and showing himself to a people, but it was only a people that was hungry. You know, the Hebrides revival started with um, a couple of ladies that just for years would just pray and pray and say, God, we want this country to change. God, we want, want you to move in our nation. And uh, there's always this funny story of even in Scotland and some of these countries that, that God really visited that they had a massive economic crisis because they had to retrain um, the horses and the cats and the dogs, all the animals in the country, because they did not understand their masters anymore because the masters used to swear so much that they were used to the swear words and now there were suddenly no more swear words. So they had an economic crisis in Scotland to retrain the horses so that they could understand their masters because the swear words were all gone, you know? I think like, wow, that's revival in the whole country, you know, <laughs> has got a crisis. You know, all the pubs closed down, they had no more, you know? And I don't know about you, but I have a desire that there'll be no pubs in this town anymore. Just say, God, let it become worship places for you. Let it become places where people just every way cry out to you. But that means revival starts in the church, in our hearts. The only reason why our country is in such a bad state is because the church is in such a bad state. Repentance starts in the house of the Lord. Can you say amen? So there's this beautiful scripture in 2 Corinthians um, 5 verse 17 that we all quote this one verse and then it's, but then Paul goes on and he begins to give the mandate of the church. Listen to this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Talking about your spiritual man. And you know, we know there's a contention between your soul and your spirit. Because once you get born again, your soul are not renewed. 
and therefore you do old habits and old stuff and, and there's this contention between your fleshly man and your spiritual man. And Paul is saying, hey, we need to be spiritual. We need to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Because the greatest war is the spirit of Duvay, you know, the spirit of the snooze button early in the morning. Is your flesh, is that flesh that cries out and says, no, I don't want to serve God. I don't want to go to church. I, I don't want to go into fellowship. So you, there's a war going on inside of you every day. And so Paul says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Behold, everything has become new. And then he says, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He says, everyone that is in Christ, you have a ministry. And it's called the ministry of reconciliation. That is your ministry. Lots of people say, no, I don't know what God has called me to do. I don't know what the will of God is. Scripture is very clear. If you are a new creation, you have a ministry. And that ministry is to reconcile first yourself to God, but then to tell the world there's, there's a bridge, there's a reconciliation, there's a moment where you can connect with God. And your ministry is to show the world. He actually uses this word ambassador. He says, you are an ambassador for God. Every day when you walk out, tomorrow morning when you walk out to your workplace, you are an ambassador for Christ. You're not a South African. Primarily, you are not an Afrikaner or a Zulu or a whatever. Firstly, you are here commissioned by God to be an ambassador for him. And that ministry, once you are saved, you, you say, I am here to build a bridge between God and people so that people can see who he really is through my life. And so if I'm an ambassador, it means I represent God to my workplace, to my family, to the people around me. And I've got a word of reconciliation. He say, hey, you are lost, but God wants to draw you back. God wants to show you that there's forgiveness, there's mercy, there's grace, there's love, but there's also repentance. The way you turn back is repentance. Turn back to God. Be reconciled to God. That's the story of the Bible. People standing up and say, hey, you need to connect back with God. Your sins are forgiven, but you need to repent. Repent means 180 degree turn. Metanoia, turn back to God. It is so simple, but so profound when you realize like, I have a ministry. I don't need to prophesy every week. I don't need to just speak a lot of things. I have a ministry. I'm an ambassador for Jesus. Whoa, if the ambassador for America comes to South Africa, you know, and I think she is coming. I think it's a lady. She's coming this week. I, I heard rumors. I, but when she comes, there's a whole arrival. There's a whole protocol. There's a whole way of she represents a whole country. And when she speaks on behalf of America, it's like, wow. It's just a person, but there's so much authority, so much things being given to this lady to be able to represent a whole country. And if she makes a media statement in this week, then it's amazing. 
Everybody says, America says it. Not, I don't know the lady's name. Does somebody know the lady's name? I think it's a lady. Okay. Huh? Is it? Devolt? Okay, yeah. I just saw a picture in the headline. You know, but if, say, let's say, Petronella, say that's her name. You know, Petronella says, hey, we are cutting all our ties of economic reform with South Africa. Then those words that she carries, carry so much weight that the whole of South Africa's economy will like, bend down and the rand will go, you know, and all that stuff will happen. Because of one lady, has she got any power in herself? No, she hasn't. But she's been delegated a ministry. And a lot of Christians don't know that because, hey, mostly, and I'm going to say this with a lot of respect, mostly even our prayers are only around our own comfort or our own fears. And as long as your prayer life is just about your own comfort and your own stuff, you know, God always listens, God always hears, and He will bless you. But you're robbed from this place of working with God. And that's why Paul fights with these Corinthians and the people at Corinth, and it's sort of like called the book of order, book of correction. He comes to them and says, hey, wake up, wake up to what God has given you. Because you actually have so much authority. You have so much life in abundance. You have the ability to walk into people's lives and to show them who Jesus really is. They may never come to church, but you have that ability. I was reminded this week of, I think it was at Porterville or Pakeberg, you know, Paketberg, yeah, up in the south. I can't, I can't remember, yeah, in the west coast. And one day I was, we were doing like a seminar, and there was a guy sitting in the third row. And I was, I've, you know, as I was talking and I was sharing a testimony, I said to the guy, hey, what's your name? It's an older, older man, like a real farmer sitting there and just checking, you know. When people sit like this in church, then they're always like checking out the pastor, you know. What is he saying and what is he not saying? Now, all the people that sit like this go like, okay, yeah. And so, so I was talking to him and I said, what's your name? And he said, Philip. Yeah, I said, okay. I'm sharing the testimony of reconciliation and restoration in somebody's life. And as I'm sharing the testimony, I'm talking to this guy, to Philip again, but I get his name wrong. I say, oh, Nathan, you know, and I'm, and oh, you know, and this guy's eyes just go like, go like big and Nathan and everybody around is like, oh, the guy forgot his name, Philip. And so just by chance, I Nathan, 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 this guy. At this stage, this guy jumps up he says, no, my name is not Nathan. My name is Philip. And then he starts to break down. And I thought like, whoa, you know, sensitive, you know. <laughs> Issues, you know. <laughs> Refer him to the counselor, you know. <laughs> Pastor, have you noticed, yeah? <clears throat> and the next moment he just starts to weep uncontrollably. He says, do you know what? When I was small, I was really abused and a lot of stuff. And then at the age of around about 16, I changed my name to Philip. My name was, used to be Nathan. And I've been running away from God all my life. And there's been so much anger. But today I know that God knows me. And I realized like, Lord, you're reconciling people back to you. Because you know the Nathan. 
He pretends to be Philip, but he's a Nathan. And you want to you 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 heal that Nathan. You want to set Nathan free. Oh, it was so beautiful. End of the sermon, end of the teaching. We just ministered to Nathan. Because Nathan was running away from God all of his life. But you know, we, we have this place. You know, I, I just made a mistake. <laughs> but it wasn't a mistake. You know, there's nothing by chance. <laughs> God calls out the Nathans, you know. Restoring people back to himself. And, and that's the beauty of life. That's the beauty of serving God. Is when God draws people back to himself. And he wants to start with you. He wants to start in your heart and mouth. Because sometimes we are critical. Sometimes we get negative. Sometimes all these things are happening in our lives. And oh, don't even talk about church. Because church, you know. Church is bad people. Bad leadership. You know, I can't trust leadership. All that stuff. And many times it's just issues on authority. Because the Nathan and the Philip is contending with each other. Jesus walks into the Simon and then says, hey, you're not a Simon anymore, you're a Peter. He says, he walks into the Saul and he says, Saul, I'm changing you to the Paul, but the real Paul. Isn't that beautiful? The ministry of reconciliation, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. is to restore people, not just to have an event orientation with God or nice little experience or play church, church, but to bring them into righteousness so that they can stand before God and say, God has set me free. I'm a new creation in him. I'm a new creation. Isn't that amazing? It takes us out of darkness into life. I was dead in my sins and now I'm alive. That is the greatest miracle we'll ever see. But we want to do a patch-up job sometimes, you know. We, we want to we tell people, just become a better Christian. Just come to church because, hey, the more people we have in church, the better it is. But that's not the ministry God has given us. God has given us the ministry to reconcile people back to him. Sure. And therefore, we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Paul writes later to Timothy, and this is a scripture that we share with each other a lot in this church. He says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He's writing to Timothy, and Timothy is so overwhelmed by circumstances, by people speaking negative things, by people saying, Hey, Timothy, you're too young. You're not making it. You, you're out there, you know. And, and he says, I remind you, Timothy, what God has given you. I remind you of the gifts inside of you, and you need to stir it up. You need to make sure that that righteousness, that position God has given you, that you maintain that place and you remind yourself of what God has done. But you know, we get so used to just doing stuff that we lose the passion in our hearts. We lose that fire in our hearts for God. It's just you. It's just you. And then somebody gets saved, you know, and somebody, you know, there's a, I was spending time with the first year this week, you know, and, 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 and he's just clueless. He's just clueless. He never read the Bible. Yeah, and I remember the first time I met him, he said to me, um, I spoke about Daniel, and I said to him, hey, Daniel, that was, you know, the prophet, and, and he says, oh, oh, yeah, Daniel, obviously one of Jesus' disciples. I said, no, 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 Daniel in the Old Testament. So he looked at me, he says, like, what's the Old Testament? I said, no, there's an Old Testament, and there's a New Testament. So, so this is the first year on our campus, in one of the residences, that has never read the Bible. He's never met God. And, and because we have people in the race there and small groups there, that small group has reached out to him 
and he gave his heart to the Lord. Life changed. Parents' relationship in a mess. They're fighting and all that stuff. And the other day he said to me, oh, I've already discovered family. This is my family, this church. Because here I belong, I'm accepted, I'm being affirmed, and I'm being challenged to change. (laughs) I say, wonderful, welcome to the club. (laughs) The only reason why I preach is because I preach at myself, okay? I just want to share the burden that God gives me. How I must change with some other people and say, Lord, just, just give it to them as well, you know? <laughs> the only reason why I stand in front is so that I can be first to respond to the altar call. Say, so, yeah, me, Lord, pick me, pick me, change me. <laughs> but you see, when spiritual pride comes in, then we think we've arrived. Spiritual pride is one of the most ugly things, and that's what eventually crucified Jesus. It's a Pharisee spirit and a Sadducee spirit. I was talking to a guy who's just saved for two years, and I was really straight with him, very respectful. You know, he knows the Lord for two years. And I said to him, do you know what? After 30 years of knowing Jesus, I just say to the Lord, Lord, I know, I know so little. Please, I humble myself. Because now this guy is two years saved, and he wants to sort out the church. He thinks he's got the answer. And I say, do you know what? You stink of spiritual pride. You know nothing. And now you're going to solve the issues of the church that they've been fighting about for 600 years. But now you really think you're going to sort it out? Please. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So never say you've arrived. Never... You know, when, when I come to church and I, when Johnny that's preaching here next week, we, you've probably all heard we're starting with a family series, you know, so Johnny and then um, Cassie Carstens will talk about the world needs a father and then Christelle is going to preach the next week. For three weeks, we're going to talk about godly families and, you know, but just, I told the story, but um, Johnny just going with him to Ukraine, sitting there with his little notebook and his pen and he's writing down everything and he's just like going for it, you know. And I said to him, Johnny, I wonder why you can be 82 and so full of zeal for the Lord. And then I realized why, because he's teachable. So at at two services, I shared the same testimony. The first testimony, um, Johnny cries his heart out. You know, the same testimony at two different churches. The second church that I shared the same testimony to, he cries his heart out again, but he cries more. He says, now, I said, um, Johnny, but you've heard it, you know, two days ago. He says to me, now because it's just so overwhelming what Jesus did in my life. So we go around and all these pastors from Russia and Ukraine, he's sitting there and I'm just amazed. He says to him, thank you, thank you. Now they've given up everything with five kids, you know. They had, they had two children and, and then they thought it's finished and then the Lord blessed them with triplets, okay, three boys. So just imagine with five kids packing up everything and going to the Ukraine when they're 50 years old. That's like a sacrifice. How many of people in the modern church will do that? <laughs> no, Lord, you can't ask me with five children to go to the Ukraine, you know, 1996, packing up everything, going to the Ukraine, becoming missionaries. And after 30 years of being there and ministering there, Johnny stands there and he just cries and he says, what a privilege. They all, all the pastors thank him for coming and say, wow, it's so amazing. He says, No, 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 you didn't change. I changed. I allowed God to change me by getting to know you. 
What a privilege. You know, that's so beautiful when there's a humble people that are hungry for God, teachable for God. And so one of the most powerful things that God has given us is this ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it starts by our prayer life. And I I just want to run through one or two just ideas. You can take the photos and, 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 and get to these scriptures. But in prayer, and I, I mentioned it a little bit, the revival in your heart to me is equal as your prayer life. Are you a praying person? But if you look at Tani Nancy sitting here in front, I know she prays. When she walks up to me, I begin to repent before I say hello, okay? Because you just know when people, people just start to pray and they, they realize like prayer is, I'm not doing prayer to impress God or impress other people. Prayer is about partnership with God. This mission that he has given us, the ministry of reconciliation, is we are here to reconcile Stellenbosch back to God. We are here to reconcile the purposes that God, why God has placed Stellenbosch here back to him and say, Lord, we want to have the redemptive purpose of this town happen. Why did you bring people here? Why did you call missionaries to come here? You've, over all the years, you've created a space where people can raise up missionaries and send them all over Africa from this place, from this university, which was called to be a Christian university. Many of the schools around here, this school that we're sitting in here, started by missionaries, started by people that cried out to God and said, God, we want this place to be a holy place and a different people to you. And we've become so secular. Everybody's writing God out, but there's a group of people that are saying, Lord, we want a partner. And that's why I asked, is the mission clear? When you pray, you don't pray to get to know God more. You get, you pray to change yourself. You pray because you want to align yourself to God's already perfect will. What an invitation. And so Matthew 7 says, ask specifically, pray specifically. James 5, Verse 16 says, talks about the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We don't pray to try and impress God. We pray because we are already with him. And that's why when we're righteous, when we're effective, when we pray with fervency, it's passion. It's a place where I aligned myself with God because there's a fire in my heart because I've met with God. And now I pray not to God. I pray with God from God. And I begin to speak into this place. That's intercession. And I want to encourage you, you know, don't wait for a program. But I was standing at the door and I realized like some people, the, they were parents of little toddlers and you, 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 you just come to survive at church, you know. But then just pray over the children. Pray at least when you come to church. But I want to invite some of you, just come before church. Come a half an hour before the time and just come and pray here. Say, God, I, 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 I want that ministry. I'm not a consumer. I'm not an individual. I'm not going to give into this culture where I just go to church. And I hear so many people, you know, we are a bit in a challenge for our venue for next year, for this place, you know. So we're running around and, and we're trusting the Lord for a couple of miracles. But it's so amazing to listen to what people talk and how they speak. They say, oh, you guys at Shofar. And I say like, but you're in the church for 10 years. We've obviously made a big mistake because we've not discipled you, discipled you properly. 
The church is not you guys at the office or the pastor. We are the church. We're not going to church. We are the church. Amen. So don't talk if you, I'm, I'm, I'm just warning you. If I get a frown, it means like, you know, I'm not going to say anything. I'm, I'm going to be merciful and gracious. But don't talk about you in the church. You, you guys at Shofar when you are with us. When you are the church. Amen. We are the church. Otherwise, it's easy to criticize the church all the time and to find fault with the church because you're standing outside the church and you say, okay, you guys. Then you always come with a finger pointing because, hey, you guys need to sort yourself out. And you guys, the coffee is not so nice. You guys. But when you say we are the church, then suddenly if the banner, because if you could realize, some of you already realize that this banner is hanging skew here. Oh, you know, this is crazy. Look here, it's skew. And for the perfectionist, the I can't read the scripture. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. Oh, but he'll make all skew things straight. You know, the church there, did you notice the banner is skew? This, those set up people at Shofar, you know, they, they just not, it's just like, and, and the S, have you noticed the S? Yeah. This S is lying in the wrong direction a little bit, just, just 20 degrees. Oh, oh. wonderful. Put Jesus in place, you know. But it's, it's amazing because if you don't see it as God start with me, how do I become part of the answer? There's always going to be you. You. Then we become critical, negative, and then we miss out on what God has for us. You are the answer. The kingdom inside of you when you walk tomorrow into your workplace, you have a ministry of reconciliation. You become the intercessor in that place. When you walk into Paul Ruiz, tomorrow morning you say, God, I'm a righteous person and I thank you. God is looking for one person, Daniel. One person, Bernard. One person to say, God, because I'm here, save this place. I mean, we're working with him. Second Corinthians 6 verse 1 says that. Ephesians 6 verse 18 says, praying always, being watchful. Praying always. Prayer is not a little hour thing we do in the week. Prayer is my whole life becomes a prayer to him. Praying always. These are just some principles I'm reminding of us in prayer. And when you pray, says, be watchful. Have your eyes focused on where God is moving. You're not praying against stuff. You're not praying because you come out of fear. You, you pray because you've seen. You've, you've been with God. That is real intercession. Otherwise, it's just supplication. It's just asking, oh, Lord, please be with me. Oh, Lord, make me more comfortable. Oh, Lord, make me happy, you know. And I think it was John G. Lake that said, you know, if I would ask God for happiness, I would rather just drink some gin. Christianity is not about happiness. It's about holiness. Christianity is not about our comfort. It's about his glory. And when there's a people that begin to cry out for that, say, Lord, not my comfort, your glory. Not my comfort, your glory. That's why Peter writes, he says, be sober, be vigilant, be watchful. There are different kinds of prayers. And we pray not as my father, we pray our father. 
But if you just are stuck to my, it's always just me. My, me, Lord, bless me. Lord, give me the next job opportunity. Lord, give me this. Lord, bring my breakthrough. Lord, and there's nothing wrong with praying like that. I'm not, I'm not belittling this, but I'm, I'm just inviting you to something so much bigger. Reconciliation agent. Ambassador. Ambassador. Ooh. When you are a doctor in Canada and you fly over there, I'm an ambassador. I'm on a mission. Wow, that's so exciting. I represent God. Chris, I represent God. I have this ability to reach out to him. Why? Because he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. And when, when you and I begin to taste that, and that's what the consumerism and all this stuff and the event Christianity, all that stuff, it robs us from real intimacy with him. Partnership with the living God. Paul writes about us. He says, the mystery of the ages, the, the Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God wants to release hope through your life. He wants to show the world that God is alive. He is God. He is God. He is God. He is God. There's a song we sing. Yeah. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. There's some more scriptures you can just jot, jot down because we're running out of time. Second Corinthians 4, verse 3 to 4, First Timothy 2. It says, I pray, pray for that there be different kinds of prayers, intercession, supplication, the prayer of faith. The prayer of intercessions, giving of the prayer of giving th- of thanks. We don't have time this morning, but there's a lot of different kinds of prayer that Scripture talks about. The travail where we go into, like Elijah prayed, and we begin to birth the purposes of God. We begin to share, and we begin to say, God, I, I want you to use this life of mine. We pray for people in, for kings, those who are in authority. Pray for your president. <laughs> Pray for your pastor. And how do we pray? I'm going to end with this. And then Ed Silvoso writes in his book, Transforming Cities. He, he sort of gives us this, these principles in Luke chapter 10. He says, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat with, with what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. So even with unbelievers, you must realize that don't speak bad about unsaved people. Don't speak bad about your neighbor that is just partying all night and is far from God. They just failed. They don't know. They've not seen. But when you come and through, you realize that pray, when I pray, walk my neighborhood. When I, when I say, Lord, this place, I, I pray for peace over this place, you know. It's amazing, I I have some neighbors that are really not following the Lord. But regularly, when there's a crisis, they'll just come knock on my door, like yesterday again, and say, hey, hey, I'm I'm not a religious person, but would you please, please just pray for us, we're in a crisis. Probably because all the shofar buses with all the stickers are also standing in front of us, you know, we call it shofarville, you know. There's about 10 people in shofar living in our street, you know. But every time I drive through that street, I pray and I speak, Lord, I say, peace to this street. Lord, in this street, there'll be life. In this street, your kingdom will come. Why? Because I'm a minister of reconciliation. And so when I begin to walk into the, I I need to, the Bible says, when you enter into a city, when you enter into 
a home, when they receive you, open up them, speak peace to it. That's the first thing you do. Speak peace to it. Speak peace over Stellenbosch. The Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for your people in authority so that you can lead and live godly lives. And have peace so that the kingdom can come. Then he says, fellowship with him. When they receive you, eat with him. Don't be afraid of unbelievers. Don't be afraid. They're going to do unbelieving things. <laughs> They're going to do weird things. They're going to sin. They're going to swear. Why? Just because they just don't know the Lord. And then you take care of their needs. You heal them. You have the ability to walk in there and bring the answer. And then you proclaim the good news. We sometimes want to proclaim the good news before we've done it. Don't preach at people if you haven't first announced peace to them. Sometimes we want to preach, preach, preach. Oh, these sinners, they need to go and realize that God is God and the fear of God. And God is going to smack them if they don't repent, you know. Turn or burn, you know. But you should pray for the peace of your neighbor. Say, God, peace. I speak peace. And then you walk into their lives. Every person has a need for belonging. Every person has a need for affirmation. Every person has a need to feel loved and to know who they are, their identity. And it's only God that can answer that. But the church can say, hey, there's a place where you can belong. So tomorrow morning when you walk into the workplace, stop, greet the secretary. How was your weekend? Greet the person, the cleaning person. You know, our, our, our offices are just next to Food Lovers Market. And I go to Food Lovers Market not because I like the noise or because I, you know, but most of the appointments I make is in Food Lovers Market. Why? Because there are some waiters there. And you know, two of them has come to church already. The one, he just ignores me, but I ask him every week. <laughs> So I'm going to WhatsApp him this afternoon and say, hey, do you, want to, do you want to come to church tonight? I'll organize a lift for you, for you and your girlfriend. She's pregnant and they're not married, but I'm not going to judge them. But you know, I realized they call me the pastor of food lovers. I like that. Because I don't switch God off when I go to food lovers. I go there with a purpose. I throw in petrol at the same place with the same petrol people so that I can get to know their names, know where they come from in Zimbabwe. Next time when I stop there, I ask them again, how's it going with your wife? Minister of reconciliation. Minister of the glory of God. And then it's so exciting. All the guys in Food Lovers Market, I've given them other names already. I don't like their names, so I prayed and I said, Lord, okay, this guy, Shorty, he's honor, you know. Now he walks around, and when I sit there with other people, he says, my name is Honor. Yeah? It's not Bonnie, it's Honor. I'm thinking like, wow. Why? Because somebody took the time out to recognize that he's a human being. He's not just a waiter that must serve me and serve my food right now because I'm the consumer, and I'm not happy if the food is not nice. Because do you know what? I'm in a rush for the next meeting, and I want to get there because a minister of reconciliation. My life becomes a prey to God. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. 
go to www.chevronline.tv to download and share. Sin.